are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locks on Diamondbacks podcast. You're part of the Locks on Podcast Network. Your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 from my personal account. Or just look up Locked on Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And, of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be doing this podcast without you, the listener, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. But what are we talking about today's pod? Well, the free agency period has been very busy before this MLB lockout. So I want to talk about some takeaways I've had so far through free agency. That'll be the first segment. In the second segment today, I got three takeaways for you. And then in the third segment today, we'll do the topic I promised yesterday where we talk about Big Poppy versus David Ortiz for the Hall of Fame. Who should get into the Hall of Fame between those two players? So we'll break that down on today's podcast. So it's going to be a jam-packed pod as always, go whole bunch I want to talk to you guys about, a whole bunch of fun topics I want to talk to you guys about today. But first, as always, let's jump to the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Intro, drop. You are Locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Miller Thomas of Locked On Dimebacks here. And let's get into that first takeaway from free agency we have, which is any team can turn their rebound, re, excuse me, I almost said rebound, can turn their rebuild around quickly when you combine rebuild and around. I guess it forms the word rebound. So any team can turn their rebuild around quickly if they have an owner willing to spend. And the best example of this is the New York Mets. Basically, the Mets used to operate like a small market team under Jeff Wilpon, the previous owner. He took control over the Mets in 2002, and the Mets used to actually... Over the last few years before Steve Cohen, they were a small market team. But when Jeff Wilpon first took over the New York Mets in 02, they were a big money team. They had a top five payroll every season from 03 to 09. So you say, what happened to all that money? Why did the Mets turn into like a small market team? They used to be a big market team like the Yankees spending money. Then they turned into the Arizona Dimebacks. How did that happen? Well, it's because Jeff Wilpon was good friends with a little man named Bernie Madoff. If you don't know who Bernie Madoff is, go look it up because he pulled off the biggest Ponzi scheme in the history of the world, I believe. I think he sold billions and billions of dollars. And he was good friends with Jeff Wilpon and took a lot of his money when Bernie Madoff was arrested in late 2008. Jeff Wilpon, the owner of the Mets, lost over five over lost over five hundred million dollars just over one night in 2010 and 2009. The Mets had to borrow over. $880 million to stay afloat. Almost a billion dollars they had to borrow from the league to just cover their expenses. But 
with Steve Cohen buying the Mets for a record $2.4 billion, they're back in business. We saw them last year make moves for Marcus Stroman and Francisco Lindor. They wasted no time to put money back into their franchise. And you look at what they've been doing this offseason. They've added Max Scherzer, $130 million guaranteed. Starling Marte, $78 million guaranteed. Mark Hanna, $26.5 million. Even our good friend Eduardo Escobar got a nice little bag of $20 million. With these new additions, Fangraphs now say... The Mets are basically in a tie for the best team in baseball on paper. And the Mets aren't the only example of a team using free agency to uh, using free agency, spending money in free agency after not being that good the previous few seasons. We saw the Mets. They weren't that good last year. They weren't that good before Steve Cohen got there. But he says it doesn't matter. Let's go spend money. Let's go turn this team around. Now Fangraphs think they have the best team in baseball just after one offseason. Another team that has been able to do this as like a, I don't know if you consider them a small market team, but they were a team that hasn't really done anything the last few years and all of a sudden are spending money this free agency. And that is the Texas Rangers who haven't made the postseason since Adrian Beltre led that team in war, which was 2016. They haven't even cracked 80 wins since 2016. So you know what the Rangers ownership said? The front office said, they said, we're done with this. Quietly around the industry, apparently they've been telling people, we're trying to make the playoffs in a couple years. And to do that, they were going to have to spend money in free agency. This was a team where you look at their team heading into next season before this offseason. You were like, who on that team should even be on a major league roster? They had holes pretty much at every position. And this was a team that wasn't going to get better in one offseason. But you know the kind of moves that they made? Can help them turn around this team maybe in two, three offseasons. Because they made some big money moves this offseason. They got they they got Corey Seager from the LA Dodgers, $325 million guaranteed. Marcus Simeon, $175 million up the middle in their offense, in their defense. They got Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. Marcus Simeon, I mean, he's been an MVP candidate two of the last three years, turned into a power hitting infield uh infielder along with Corey Seager, who can pretty much do it all and was huge in the postseason run for the Dodgers in route to win the World Series. And then they added John Gray, 56 million. He's not a number one, number two starter, but he's more like a number three middle rotation starter who's really good, and that's a really good value. And just making those three moves. The Rangers are now considered the 23rd best team on paper, according to the fan graphs, heading into next season, which is a big improvement because going into next season, before this little free agency splurge that they had, their best projected player was someone who is not even on their major league roster, is someone who hasn't even played a major league game. So this Rangers team was in desperate need of help, and after one offseason, they were able to add a whole lot of pieces. Obviously, we have to see the results, but those two teams added championship pieces to, I guess, not very good teams. The Rangers were an awful team. The Mets were a team that looked good on paper, but didn't live up to expectations. But they went to this offseason and didn't add good players. They added great, elite, potentially future Hall of Famers that could be there for the next decade of their career that could help build a culture and build their franchise into championship winning teams. 
You don't need to be a big market in baseball to attract free agents. The Mets are a big market, but I don't think I would consider the Texas Rangers who play in Arlington a big market. If you're willing to spend money, you have a chance to compete and you have a chance to get basically any free agent. We saw the Padres before they were the Padres now get the Eric Hosmer and the Manny Machado a few years ago because they were willing to spend money. Even a team like the D-backs got Zach Greinke because they were willing to spend money. Small market, small market teams repeatedly in baseball are able to get the big time players if they are willing to spend money. But, excuse me, as long as Ken Kendrick doesn't want to spend money, the D-back chances of competing for a World Series are slim unless they are great at drafting like the Houston Astros or can hit the mar- or can hit the margins like the San Francisco Giants. If they could be like the Miami Marlins too and just keep hitting on young talent, uh, that would help as well. But. Spending money on players like Zach Greinke and Madison Bumgarner are cool. We're, we're at least seeing you actually spend money. Greinke, over $200 million. Bumgarner, over $80 million. That's cool that you got, that the D-backs are actually spending money on some, I guess, top-tier pitchers. But they don't fill out the rest of their roster after they make those big moves. They've only basically made two big moves in the last, what, 10, 12 years? I mean, they gave like a guy like Yasmani Tomas, like, Whenever the D-backs decide to hand out big contracts, it doesn't really work out. Tomas, Zach Granke, Bumgarner. The D-backs like to give out big contract. It usually turns into an albatross contract. And then they don't fill out the rest of the roster. When they do fill out the rest of the roster, it's with bargain bin deals. Let's go get the Chris, Devin- the Chris Davinsky, the Junior Guerrero, the Joaquin Soria. Like, you're not going to win like that. You're not going to win trading for Nick Heath during the season. The D-backs have been trying to build around the margins, and it's not been possible for the team. The team wants the payroll to be around league average, but they don't have the infrastructure like the Rays or the Oakland A's to win without spending money. Those two teams, they can win without spending money, but they don't usually go very far in the postseason. Outside the Rays, the last, uh, outside the Rays, literally in just a shortened pandemic season, the Rays usually don't go very far in the postseason. They're usually a nice regular season story, just like the Oakland A's can win a lot of games during the regular season. But once you get to the postseason, the teams with more talent usually end up winning and It's not like always the Braves may not have been the most talented team based off wins, but the Braves aren't afraid to spend money. They're not afraid to build a team. D-backs, if you want to be able to compete, you need to spend a little money in free agency because spending it on one guy every three to four years, it's just not going to get it done. And then spending the rest of your money on bargain bin players that no one else wants is not going to help the team. Ken Kendrick bought the team for $238 million. Ken Kendrick bought the team for $238 million in 2004. Less than five years ago, the franchise was valued at $900 million by Forbes. Now it's valued at over $1.2 billion. And since 2004, the D-backs have only made the playoffs three times. The D-backs are not making the playoffs. What the D-backs are doing now has not been working. They need to spend money. The franchise evaluation repeatedly goes up. Ken Kendrick is making money by owning the D-backs. You know what else he's doing? He's trying to sue the minority owners and trying to get them to, if you're less than a 1% minority owner, Ken Kendrick either wants you to buy up to 1% or basically sell your share. So for Ken Kendrick, I need him to focus on putting the money in the players' pockets and stop trying to take it out the minority owners' pockets. I had, to, I had that line written down because I thought it was nice. I thought that was a nice way to end the segment. So I had that one written down. I thought I thought it was a little spicy. What can I say? I thought it was a little spicy. But 
We're going to be talking about some more takeaways I had from this free agency period. But this episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered for all season. Excuse me, let me repeat that. BetOnline has you covered all season. More props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues to march to the playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Let's get back into the podcast. Let's give some more takeaways that I've had from this free agency period because it was a really fun free agency time. Again, I've been joking with a lot of lockdown podcast hosts that maybe we need to renew. Excuse me. I don't know why I keep burping. Maybe we need to renew the CBA every offseason. If it means teams are going to be aggressive early in free agency. Last year, felt like we waited till what? January before any moves really got made. February? Like it felt like pitchers and catchers were reporting to spring training before major moves were even going down in the offseason. So I'm very glad to see teams be a lot more active and aggressive early this free agency, even though it's because of the CBA lockout that's now going on. But let's get into my number two takeaway, and it's that big market teams are in hiding right now. And I think these big market teams are just lurking in the shadows waiting to pounce after this lockout uh, ends, I guess is the best way to say, because the Red Sox, Dodgers, and Yankees have been pretty quiet so far. The biggest deal from those clubs was the four-year, $60 million deal given to Chris Taylor, who's a pretty good player. I mean, I'm not sure if he made the All-Star team this year, but he was pretty much a borderline candidate. I think I might have had him at my midseason All-Star ballot or right on the fringe. Like, he was very good this season, so that was a nice deal that the Dodgers gave to Chris Taylor. The Dodgers have lost a Max Scherzer and a Corey Seager, too, but, I mean, considering the Dodgers still have Kershaw, uh, maybe Kershaw, he's a free agent, too, so we'll see. Maybe Kershaw still have Urias and they're going to have um, Walker Bueller still. Dustin Mays coming back. Like the Dodgers rotation is going to be okay. And they added Trey Turner who can definitely make up for that lost Corey Seager production. Still can't believe the Dodgers got Trey Turner in that deal. And the Red Sox lost Eduardo Rodriguez, who was basically their number two starter until Chris Sale came back this season. Their rotation was already kind of weak, and it just got weaker. So I'm surprised we haven't really seen any big market teams do anything. The Yankees haven't really done anything yet either. Red Sox and Dodgers seem to be the two teams that have a plan and know what their identity is. Both have parallels between balancing big market spending and home growing prospects. It's a big reason why, even though we all hate the Dodgers, of course, Locked On Dimebacks podcast, we all hate the Dodgers. I do have respect for the Dodgers in the sense that I don't feel like they're the New York Yankees. Yes, they go out and acquire all these big time players, but they also do a great job of developing players in house, like the Corey Seegers, like the Bellingers, like the uh, Walker Buellers, like Gavin Lux, Will Smith. The Dodgers do a great job year in and year out at developing their own talent. The Yankees, 
they're willing to give out money to whoever feel wh- whoever they feel like is necessary to give that fat contract to. But they also love to offer mediocre pr- <laughs> they love to offer mediocre prospects like a Clint Frazier to other teams for their best player. And remember, Frazier DFA'd by the Yankees this offseason. He's currently not on the team. So much for for the Clint Frazier experience, but. Small market teams did most of the eating early before the lockout, which I think was smart for them because I think they needed to be aggressive early since players probably wanted their money before the lockout. And it's a lot easier to get those top tier players if you say, hey, in two days, you're not even going to be able to get money for the next three months. So here's a fat deal. Don't even go talk to anyone else because you're not going to have time to get that physical done. Take my money right now. So I think a lot of these free agents took a couple of phone calls, and if they got a fat contract that was right in the wheelhouse of what they were looking for, I don't think they were too hesitant to jump on it. So I think it was smart for these small market teams to come out early, come out swinging, and be, in a, and be aggressive. A lot of the big market teams, I think, are going to be really aggressive after this lockout. I think a lot of them also already have really good teams already in place. I think a lot of them didn't need to be super aggressive early and go after the Scherzers or some of these other star players on the market because a lot of them, like the Dodgers and the Red Sox, I think already have good teams. They just need to fill in the gaps with some missing pieces and free agency. So I don't think they had to be super aggressive early. I think there's still enough free agents after this lockout that they could go after, which brings me to my second takeaway, technically my third takeaway, second of this segment, which is big time players and difference makers are still available on the free agent market. Listen to some of these names available, and I mentioned a Clayton Kershaw earlier. You still got Carlos Correa, star, Freddie Freeman, stud, Chris Bryant, stud, Nick Castellanos, Michael Conforto, Kyle Schwarber, Trevor Story. There are some legit studs still available on the market. All those big market teams are definitely going to be in on all those guys. We've already heard rumors of maybe Freddie Freeman going back to his hometown, the L.A. Dodgers. Like, we really need to see that. Carlos Correa, Yankees or Red Sox, same with Trevor Story. Like, we're going to see some of these, we're going to see at least one of these superstar players in free agency sign with a big market team. We just don't know who it is. And also, I want to know what team like the Giants still have up their sleeve. They signed Alex Cobb, who I'm like, eh, I'm a little lukewarm. Like, he had a solid season. But I think throughout majority of his career, he's been like a mediocre guy when we look at the ERA. Maybe the FIP tells you a different story, but I feel like, By the eye test, I've never been scared of Alex Cobb pitching. But either way, they signed him. They brought back Adele Scafani, but they lost to Buster Posey to retirement. They lost Kevin Gosman to the the Blue Jays. Like, what are the Giants going to do? I'm a little lukewarm on them entering next season, but I still have a lot of respect for the Giants. Are the Reds going to blow it up? Castellanos is a free agent. We've already heard rumors of maybe they want to trade Luis Castillo. Uh, are the Mets or Rangers done with their spending sprees? Might as well go in. I don't think the Mets are going to be done. By the way, Steve Cohen likes to talk in the Rangers. If they do want to be a playoff team in the next two years, they're going to need a little more talent on their roster. They had a fantastic start so far to free agency, but they're going to need a little bit more talent on their roster to at least be somewhat competitive next year. Even if you don't make the playoffs, at least put a good product on the field and then maybe make the playoffs in 2023. Uh, the Red Sox, what are they going to do? It seems like they want to operate like the Tampa Bay Rays now that, now that they got that guy from Tampa Bay. You lost Eduardo Rodriguez. Like James Paxton can't be the only move. Rich Hill can't be the only move to upgrade that rotation. So what are they going to do? And the D-backs. Are the D-backs done? They signed Mark Melanson, a move that no one expected. So do they have another ace up their sleeve? I'm not saying they're going to get a Freddie Freeman, anything like that, but... 
Could they be in the market for like a Michael Conforto or one of these second, third tier guys who could be potential all-stars in the right situation if everything breaks right? A Kyle Schwarber who, guys who are really high level, not necessarily tier one guys, but guys who everyone needs on a championship team. Guys who can be real contributors to a championship environment. Guys who are like a, you know, a Mike Napoli in his prime, who are really good players, but not exactly superstars, like an Eduardo Escobar, maybe a little bit better than Eduardo Escobar. So I'm really curious to see where these big time players are going to go. A lot of them are still available. And I want to see what these big market teams are going to do because they've been very quiet this free agency period. Now we're going to talk about that big poppy versus A-Rod debate for the Hall of Fame, but this episode is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Today, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. DirecTV Stream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. The best part, there's no annual contract, so stop waiting and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. be wrapping up the pod here locked on dying back but we still got one final segment left we're doing the big poppy versus a rod hall of fame debate because both of these two players i feel like came up in the same era they definitely came up in the same area same not area era they both played for the two biggest rivals in not just baseball but let's be honest Red Sox Yankees are the two biggest rivals in all sports and i think they get lumped into the same bucket when it comes to the hall of fame discussion uh, as well and i actually found this out doing some research big poppy and a rod were actually teammates in some dominican league when they were teenagers so they actually have a history that goes way back so i definitely think their careers are kind of intertwined when we talk about them but let me break down why david ortiz aka big poppy is i repeat is is a hall of famer and a rod is not repeat is not a hall of famer well a star here, 2009, A-Rod admitted to using PEDs from 01 to 03 when he was with the Texas Rangers. He, he, <coughs> excuse me. he lied about it publicly for years. And when that Jose Canseco story came out, uh, it, it was kind of a wrap for A-Rod. He eventually admitted to using the PEDs in 09, like I mentioned, but he lied about it for a very long time. He did it in those early 2000s. He allegedly tested positive in an 03 test, and we thought maybe that was the end of A-Rod taking stories since we got the alleged test out. We got Jose Canseco saying he did it. We even got A-Rod on record saying he did steroids. So you'd be like, okay, maybe A-Rod has moved on from this steroid, uh, from the steroid allegations, from the steroid abuse, and has turned his career around. That's what you would think, right? Well, that didn't happen because basically from 2010 to 2012, it seems like he started using steroids again because he got caught up in that biogenesis scandal. It's the reason he was suspended for the whole 2014 season. His name came up in some uh, spending report where he was allegedly buying steroids and stuff like that. So he had to be suspended again. And steroids and cheating has been linked to both of these players, but only A-Rod has been suspended for it. Yes, Big Poppy was on that Mitchell report, but... He never tested positive outside of that Mitchell report, and he's never been suspended. A-Rod came back positive during the Mitchell report, like a David Ortiz. And I've said before, I do not care if you tested positive during the Mitchell report. 
because baseball did not care basically before that Metro report about steroids. Everyone was doing steroids. Over 5% of the samples taken from MLB players came back positive for steroid use. It was rampant in baseball. So I'm not even mad that A-Rod or Big Poppy might have done steroids in the early 2000s. I'm mad that A-Rod lied about it for years, admitted to it, and then went back to using steroids, allegedly, because he was connected to the biogenesis scandal. And that's where I really have the rub with A-Rod. I would have been fine if we had all the allegations pre-2007, but if he never tested positive or was linked to steroids after that, after 07, after the Mitchell report, I wouldn't care. It's the fact that we had to go through a whole nother suspension, a whole nother scandal, a steroid f- fiasco with A-Rod. It's a big reason why I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame, not just because he's a steroid user, but because he did steroids and was suspended for it post Mitchell Report. Big Poppy was on the Mitchell Report, but never but never suspended. Remember that, Big Poppy never suspended for steroids. Poppy is only 16th in war among players on the ballot, which you would think is pretty low, right? How does Poppy, how does Big Poppy get in with that kind of number? But to me, I think the postseason has to mean something because there might not be a better postseason player in MLB history than Big Poppy. And I think that has to matter. Why do we play these games? I go to Arizona State, or excuse me, I used to go to Arizona State. I'm a graduate now. I have to, I have to remind myself that sometimes. I'm no longer in college. And I went there during Herm Edwards' time at ASU. You know, you know what his most famous phrase is? We play to win the game. If we play these 162 games because we need that many games to know how good a baseball team is, then you have to also tell me, we play that many games to know how good a baseball team is so we know when they do go on to win the World Series or go on to have a great postseason run. It's because we have this large sample size that told us this was a good team, this was a deserving team, and it matched up with their postseason record. Well, for Big Poppy, that means winning has to matter and no one won more. I guess players won more, like a Derek Jeter, but no one maybe contributed to their team winning more, which should matter than a big poppy. You have to remember, numerous clutch hits in that 2004 run where they came back from 0-3 down. Down three games to nothing to beat the Yankees. You can't forget that. Won the World Series in 04. Can't forget they batted 688 in the 2013 World Series and route to winning World Series to root. Excuse me, en route to winning World Series MVP. One man can't carry a team in baseball. That's been the big knock. Whenever someone pushes back against me, my Mike Trout takes as to why I don't think he's the greatest baseball player of all time because I think he's the worst. He is literally, I will say this again for the people in the back who haven't heard me, go look it up. According to the top 100 players in MLB history, according to ESPN or whatever website you want to look at, Mike Trout has the worst career postseason resume of any of them. He's the only one with one career postseason hit through 10 years of Major League Service time. Remember that. So, for Big Poppy, he's a guy who basically did carry a team by himself in the 2013 World Series. Batted 688. He had a OPS of like 2,000. Like, his numbers were insane. He got on base, I think, 75% of the time in that World Series. Like, if any man can carry a team through a series, it was Big Poppy back then. And plus, you can't forget, he's third in OPS Plus among active ballot people for this voting cycle. So, I think Big Poppy does have the numbers. And if we want to talk a little bit about the character clause, which I don't really like to bring up because I'm not using it for... Uh, Kurt Schilling, because I do feel like the character clause applies more to the player's career than what he's done since retirement. But 
A-Rod was someone that repeatedly lied and cheated during his career. Big Poppy, he was pretty much a model was pretty much a model citizen, helped rally the Boston city during the bombing. Prior to 2009, Rodriguez received the received the nickname The Cooler because some players on his teams thought like he just kind of ran hot and cold when it came to his personality. They just didn't like his tendency to leave teams, and they didn't. They, most people just didn't like A Rod prior to 2009. They thought he came up short in the postseason, and there just wasn't a big fandom of A Rod, at least in MLB circles, prior to him winning a championship. Yankees manager Joey Toro, Joe, Joe Toro. I feel like I'm saying his name wrong. I don't know why. You guys can, I know how his name is pronounced, but for some reason, the way it's sounding in my head is not the way it's coming out of my mouth. Joe Torre, I think that's the way it's pronounced. Joe Torre, in his 2009 book, The Yankees Years, Rodriguez earned the nickname A Fraud from his teammates and particularly from a clubhouse attendant who said they were resentment or, or, or they resented, excuse me, they resented A Rod's demand. So they called A Rod a fraud. It's a nickname that I guess hasn't stuck around with him. But even Joe Torre's manager is telling you that players and his teammates were calling him a fraud. Like no one really enjoyed A-Rod as a person, as a teammate during his playing career. He lied about cheating. He lied about the steroid stuff. So if there are, if you do want to enact the character clause for a player during his career, I think A-Rod is probably the best example of that or one of the better examples of that, at least for this MLB Hall of Fame voting cycle prior to 2009. Doesn't seem like any team really loved A-Rod. He just came up short in the postseason over and over again. And then he had that biogenesis scandal like in 2014. Like there really isn't a very long period of where people like A-Rod. Basically the best period where people like A-Rod is Yankee fans from like 09 to 2011, 2012. And as soon as that biogenesis scandal came through, Yankees fans love for A-Rod pretty much ran out while Big Poppy has been the face of baseball, one of the faces of baseball, a super magnetic character, done so much for the Boston community. I don't think it's a, I, I personally think it's a no-brainer between A-Rod and Big Poppy. Big Poppy should be in the Hall of Fame, great character, great numbers, never tested positive for steroids, while A-Rod allegedly has tested positive like a Big Poppy, but he's actually been suspended. We have multiple dudes calling out A-Rod for steroids like a Jose Canseco, and we have people writing books calling him a fraud where people just don't like A-Rod. So because of all that, A-Rod, you're not a Hall of Famer, while Big Poppy, you certainly are. Now that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned into today's podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be doing this podcast without you, so thank you. Go make Locked on Bets your second listen of the day with your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. If you want to put some extra money in your pocket. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!